All right, excellent to see everyone today. Glad you're here and able to be a part of our service. Um, kind of a crazy day out there, depending on where you're coming from. I guess some of you were thinking it was going to be pretty snowy when you got here, and there's really not much here at all. So I think maybe the forecast got switched from last week to this week. This week was supposed to be a lot of snow and wasn't. Last week was not supposed to be and was. So such is the life, I guess, of a meteorologist. Uh, but uh, yeah, so you never know for sure until it happens. But that's kind of how it is with a lot of things in life. So I hope you're, uh, hope you're doing well. Hope this year is off to a good start for you. We're starting something today uh, that we'll be talking about going forward that will, will be important to us as a church community. So let's pray and let's jump right in. Father in heaven, I uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today for this congregation, for this place, for the history of this place, uh, for the years that this spot has been a witness, Lord what is your purpose for us now in this time? What would you have us do? Who would you have us be? Help us as we try to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're starting today a multi-week reflection uh, on the work regarding mission and vision that our elders board has been doing, uh, really, that, that started uh, last year, and, and towards the end of the year. And if you don't know who our elders board is, I'll just share with you. Uh, Peter Chamberlain is our, is our head elder. And then Kathy King, uh, Eric Valandia, Andrea uh, Blackburn, uh, Vanessa Alarcon, Thomas Koo, Jackie Hayes. Jackie just told our story. And Alicia Patterson, my wife are the elders board. Now I'm a part of it as well, and, and Kyle is invited to be a part of the board when he's able. But that's the group, and we've been working for a while, reflecting on who we are right now and what we believe God is calling us to accomplish in this season. I, I presume you have all learned the concept of seasons in your life. Because you have different periods of time in your life when, when the circumstances of your reality change and life requires different things of you. Uh, when you are uh, a young adult unmarried, there's a certain uh, number of responsibilities and quite a few freedoms that go with that. When you become a parent with small children, there's a whole new set of responsibilities that go with that. When you reach other points of your life, there are different seasons. And if you just approach the entirety of your life with the same mentality all the time, it wouldn't work so well. Now, maybe there's a, a theme that stays behind it all, but you've got to, to craft yourself to your time. And one of the keys to that is to understand your time, to spend time to reflect on that. And so, so my experience with this church is somewhat limited. I've been here about three years now. Uh, and so, really, from my interacting with most of you, I've heard stories from before, but, but my practical understanding of this community doesn't actually go back much before uh, Pastor Japheth's leadership here and, and what has taken place uh, in that time and what took place in those amazing days and in that season. 
and the enduring impacts that came forward, including the key role this church has played in the One Project. Now, some of you are actually going to be gone, I believe it's next week. Is it next week? I think it is. When the One Project uh, event takes place in Florida, uh, several of you will be at that next week, just as a continuing uh, legacy of that work that this church played such a big part in. Um, there, was, there was another season here. I don't think it was one we would have chosen. It was the COVID season. Remember that one? Yeah, that was crazy. Things happened during that time that we never even imagined. Nobody even came here for a long time. Now, I wasn't here for the heart of that, but I came at the tail end of that. Um, when I did get here, we were at the end of the Pastor Jay, Pastor Vanessa, Aliyah, and Brigida season of the church. And now we've moved into the Pastor Jeff, Pastor Molly, Jared, Debbie season with Brigida and Aliyah and Vanessa still around doing things. So that's awesome. We were able to hang on to some of those. But, but the players change. The situations change. When I got here, Sandy was the principal of Vista Ridge Academy. Now it's Marsha. Things change. Seasons change. And we're in this process now of, of, of forming the post-COVID reality of this community. Now, it's been a little while since then, but, but new reality is taking shape here. And I have to tell you, I'm very proud of the work that the Elder Board has done because I believe they've been faithful to who we are as a community and who the Boulder Church is right now in the Rocky Mountain Conference and in the world to help us to be the right people in the right place at the right time. One of my favorite things to do in this church is to go downstairs and and walk the hallway. I guess it's right underneath us here. Walk the hallway of the children's wing. And if you probably noticed on the right-hand side there is that, that stone inscribed with when the church was founded and all of those things on it, and it goes way back to the 1800s. See, it's been around. Things have been going on here for a long time. But, but what made this church reality in their day is not going to work for us right now. In their day, there was a, a sanitarium right over here. And that was highly relevant to what the church was. Now, there's a retirement community. And we haven't figured out how to make that relevant yet, but it kind of feels like maybe it ought to be at some point. So you see, you got to wrestle with these things. And so the elders worked and came up with a working document that we uh, discussed at our business meeting in November and, uh, and voted to adopt as a working document. I say it like that because the elders would like at least the, the, the room to adjust it as we try it out through the course of this year. As we work through the details of it, we might want to make an adjustment or two on it. But we did want to get it out there so that the church knew what it was. And today I want to start talking about the vision and the mission that the elders have put together. Now, we've broken it down into two sections. There's a vision section of what we are and what we strive to be. So that's, that's key to any vision. There's identity. We have to properly identify who we are. But then there's also aspiration. We also need to tie to that vision, not just who we are, but who we believe God is calling us to be. 
So, so we've got both of those tied in, and this vision is stated in two sentences. And then there are six statements, each of which begin with an action word that we're calling mission statements that, that explain how we're going to bring about that vision. So I want to walk you through that today, and uh, we're going to start with the words of the vision. So I think we have that there. Do we have that, Brigida? Yeah, okay, very good. So we have the vision, and it reads like this. Jesus Christ has called us to be a diverse community pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives in him. We invite you to connect with our community and pursue that life with us. So that's the general statement. We're going to come back and unpack this in a minute, uh, but that's the general statement. So we're going to focus this week and next on this statement right here. But now let me walk you through the six mission statements. No, it's mission in six points. So number one, provide a welcoming and inclusive environment for all to experience and connect with God through the Holy Spirit. Well, I guess if we're going to be a diverse community, we better be an inclusive and welcoming environment, right? You see how that goes together. Okay, number two, proclaim Jesus Christ as creator, redeemer, and sovereign over all as revealed in the Bible. Okay, this is core theology and a very important point and, and actually ties into something that is very strongly connected to, uh, to Adventist roots, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Number three, reflect God's love in all our relationships and interactions. Number four, express our love for God through passionate worship, enduring faith, constant hope, and continuous renewal. This is our experience as individuals. Number five, promote a healthy lifestyle that nourishes the body, heart, mind, and spiritual aspects of our being. This is linked to our history. This is the sanitarium history. This is a part of us, whole life health. This is part of who we are, our DNA. And number six, apply our God-given gifts in the service of others and for the betterment of our communities. Now, we're going to look at all of this over the next several weeks. We're going, to, we're going to spend this Sabbath and next looking at the vision. And then you're going to want to make sure you're here February 24 because Dina King is our speaker that day. You got to make sure you're here for that. So, all right. And then uh, in March, we'll go on and start looking at these other statements from the mission. But for today, we're focusing on the vision and specifically on the first sentence of the vision. There's two sentences there. We'll, we'll take up the next one next Sabbath, but we're going to look at the first one, and it reads like this. Jesus Christ has called us to be a diverse community pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives in him. All right, let's break this down. Let's take a look at it. So point number one for today. Jesus Christ has called us. Okay, stop right there. Because this is key. This is key to understanding who we are. We're not just here for fun. We have been called to this place at this time because we are the right people in the right place at the right time. We got to trust him on that because he's called us. He's made us who we are. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here we are, in his marvelous light. He's called us out of darkness into this place. We're chosen priesthood, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people of his possession. For what purpose? That we may proclaim the excellencies of the one that called us. And who called us? Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's Jesus that calls. It's Jesus who establishes us. It's Jesus who gives us our mission and our purpose. So the starting point of everything we do and everything we are about is Jesus because he's the one who calls us to salvation and to service. So it all starts with him. All right, so that's the first point I want you to see. But now let's go on to the second point. Oh, wait a minute. Nope, nope. I got ahead of myself. Sorry. Let's go back. Let's not go on to the second point. I wanted to touch on the second number. I saw the two. The second number in the mission statement actually ties very closely to what I'm telling you. That second point, if you remember, it says, proclaim Jesus Christ as creator, redeemer, and sovereign over all as revealed in the Bible. So that's that second point, and it ties into this centrality of Jesus in all of it. So, all right, all right. So, obvious, it's critical to keep this up front. This is about the kingdom of God, not about the kingdom of us. This is for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus and his praise. And he is reason number one that we're going to strive to achieve each of those six points. We're doing it for him because he calls us. And, and, and like one of those points, this idea of reflecting uh, the love of God in all of our relationships and interactions. This is key. This is important. So Jesus first. All right, now we're ready to go on. The next part. Jesus Christ has called us to be a diverse community. All right, stop right there. One of the first problems the church ever had was dealing with diversity. But making peace in the midst of diversity is key to God's purpose through Jesus and through the church. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we know that. We've, we've heard this story before. Fascinating. Must have been an amazing moment. None of them have ever experienced anything like this before. They all start speaking. And now, now I want you to listen to this list. And I want you to think about it in the context of diversity. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews 
All right, so we've already actually, to some degree, limited the diversity, but still, it's significant. Devout men from every nation under heaven. You recall the Jews had been spread out in lots of different places. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them, that's the apostles, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished and saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then, it, then they make this interesting list. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. So the first part of this list is all the people who come from the Babylonian and Persian areas. So that's all that crowd. But he goes on. Judea. Okay, that's everybody local. And then he says Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia. Those are all regions in what we would call Asia, Asia Minor, the Turkey, what we would call Turkey today. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, that's northern Africa. And visitors from Rome, all right? So we're all the way over to the Italian peninsula now. Both Jews and proselytes, so there were some Gentile background who had fully accepted Judaism and become a part of that. And then he throws in Cretans and Arabians. So the Arabians, of course, are down there in the, in the Arabian Peninsula, in the desert there, and the Cretans from the island of Crete. So basically, this is just boom. This whole region, there were Jewish people and proselytes in Jerusalem from all these places who speak all of these languages, and they all hear in their own language. Verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one, other, one another, what does this mean? Well, obviously, it meant a lot of things, but let me tell you one thing it meant. It meant that in the church, the curse of Babel is overthrown. You see, what happened at Babel? Do you remember this story? You see, at Babel, all the people were gathered together and they all spoke one language and they were all united to their destruction and God said, this isn't going to work. As long as the people are united in evil, they will destroy themselves. So I will confuse their languages and they will be divided. And when divided, I can one by one bring them back in righteousness rather than together in evil. And so at Babel, he split it all up. But at Pentecost, through the Holy Spirit, God demonstrated most dramatically that through the church, Babel would be undone. And that which divided would no longer divide. God would bring them back. Now, not even the disciples in the room that day had any idea just what this would mean. And that 2,000 years later, here we would be with our mixed backgrounds and our mixed races and our mixed political persuasions and our mixed worship preferences and our mixed upness that we find ourselves in. Diversity is not easy. And in fact, the very first crisis the church ever faced was related to diversity. 
Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. All right, let me explain that verse to you. The crazy thing about this is they're all Jews still. We're not even talking cross-race here. They're all Jews living in Jerusalem. But some of them are called Hellenists, and some of them are called Hebrews. What's the difference? Well, you recall that uh, when Alexander the Great stormed over and took over uh, pretty much everything he ever tried to conquer, he brought with him Greek culture. And Greek culture spread throughout that region, and that was known as Hellenizing when you, when you took on Greek culture. And there were certain Jews living in Jerusalem who embraced Greek culture. But then there were other Jews living in Jerusalem who did not. Both groups came to believe in Jesus. Both groups were part of the early church. But it was very hard for the Hebrews to consider the Hellenists to be okay because they had gone away from the traditional faith of the Hebrews and had embraced the culture of the Greeks. So how can they be as good as us? And because of this cultural clash, it apparently was playing itself out that there was abundant provision for the widows that were Hebrew in their culture, but not as much was being done for the ones that were Hellenists. First crisis of the church had to do with culture clash. You go through and you read and, you read and they, they appointed the deacons. And it's interesting, you read the names of the deacons. They all have Hellenistic names. They all have Greek names. The church was very intentional to make sure it solved this problem. But you see, here's the thing. Diversity is hard for lots of reasons. But mostly because in diversity, no one gets all of what they want. Or exactly what they want. Or expect. Or demand. Or prefer. If you're going to be a part of a diverse community, you're not going to get everything the way you want it. That's why it's hard. And it gets particularly hard in the church when I'm convinced that the way I want it is righteousness and the way you want it is evil. Yet for some reason, God keeps heaping us in here on top of each other and we don't agree on everything. When Alicia and I first started out in ministry, I started my very first church. I was assigned to be an associate pastor at Community Praise Center in Alexandria, Virginia. Amazing experience. Fabulous church. Also black church. What in the world was I doing there? Now, it was a great time. I had an amazing time. I had an amazing experience there. There was never any part of me that really felt like a culture warrior. I was going to go out there and do wonderful things for social justice. I mean, I mean, but here I am. And I learned so many things there, like the fact that just because it was a black church didn't mean it wasn't a multicultural church. 
because there were African-Americans and Caribbean-Americans and, and people from Africa and people from Latin America. And they had all these different internal struggles because of culture clash, even though they all had dark skin. Crazy how that works, right? We shouldn't make assumptions. And we went on from there and we worked at the Fairfax Church. The Fairfax Church had two groups in it. Jamaicans and everybody else. It's amazing how united you can be when you have a common enemy. Now, it actually went really well, but, but, but Jamaican culture is very strong. I don't know if you've experienced that. And after that, we started a small group at our house, and we had people from the original church and people from the Fairfax church and other people we'd met and other people we knew from other places. It was a very multicultural divorce, yeah, divorce, I'm sorry, diverse, small group meeting in our home. And because it formed out of the context of that experience, we all had this shared experience and shared con context of what we expected the small group to be. And it grew into a church plant. This was in the Washington, D.C. area called Northern Virginia Christian Fellowship. And we were all together and we were working together and we were building towards that first day when we met. And we finally got there and we had our first church service and everybody went home after that service with the same thought in their mind. That wasn't exactly what I was expecting. As much as we could be united in mission and in context and in thinking and in spirit, when it actually came down to the execution of a church service, we all brought different expectations to the table. And because of that, it was hard to get going. It took us three months to come up with a worship expression we were all comfortable with. See, here's the thing about diversity. It's not normally the written rules that get us in trouble with each other. Instead, it's the unwritten rules. The places where we offend without even knowing we're offending and the things we just expect others to know to do without being told. This is what culture does. Culture creates a massive list of unwritten rules. And when we live within it, we get along really well. But all it takes is somebody to come in who doesn't know the unwritten rules, and they offend us constantly. And it's so easy for us to think they're just dumb, or they're just cruel, or they just don't understand, or don't care. But the truth is, no, they got a different set of unwritten rules. And that's why we're not getting along. But here's the thing. Diversity is key to and a sign of the effective giving and receiving of the gospel. If everyone in the church looks alike, acts alike, and thinks alike, that's a cult, not a church. Okay? The goal here is not that you all end up a part of the same political party. We're not even trying to do that. Diversity was not really expected when the church got started. In fact, lack of uniformity in action 
led to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, where diversity in what would be required of believers came to be accepted as unavoidable. And in fact, the truth for the time. So much was all of this a surprise that Paul would refer to the fact that the church was to be this diverse community as a mystery. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then a thought occurs to Paul, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. All right, I'm going to tell you the mystery in a second, but I want you to appreciate those words. He's saying, I'm about to tell you something that none of us expected to be true. This is a mystery, and it was by God's revelation that we came to understand it. What is this great earth-shaking mystery? Are you ready? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What was the mystery that blew Paul's mind? That you could be part of the church. Blew his mind. Because most of you are Gentiles, right? Not too many Jews. It blew Paul's mind that we were allowed to be part of the church. Diversity blows your mind. But you see, it was always meant to be this way. It was God's purpose in Christ to bring every kindred, tongue, and people into his kingdom. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It was always God's purpose to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. And it's not just the New Testament that says that. Did you notice in our text today? Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. This is messianic language. This is the, the prophet writing in the context of the words that the Messiah would speak. And that, of course, the purpose of the Messiah, right, was to gather Israel, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, God says, to the Messiah, catch these words, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. He's saying, that's not enough. That's not all I sent you to do. Catch this last part. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, it was there. It was hard to see. It's hard to see what you're not looking for. We lost Alicia's phone this morning. Couldn't find it because it wasn't where I expected it to be. It was right beside that spot. 
But it's hard to see sometimes. And right there in the text, it says, you know, it's too small a thing for you to just redeem Israel. I'm going to have you redeem the whole world. Or as Jesus himself said, recorded in John chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Now, if you've got preconceived notions that he's the light of Israel, you just read that in there, even though that's not what it says. But that's the problem. We read stuff in when we don't know. Whoever follows me, how many? Whoever. That's kind of open. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So this, I believe, along with the elders board, is key to what Jesus is calling us to be in this day. Diverse. We will all have to do the hard work of learning to love people who are not like us. Not demanding that they become like us, but rather that we together become like Jesus. See the difference in that? So the vision again. Jesus Christ has called us to be a diverse community pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives in him. All right. Salvation and calling we receive from Jesus as a gift of grace. And when we receive these things, we become full members of the kingdom of God and are granted the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. But then, once we have become a part of God's people... The focus for us shifts to each of us doing what we can with what God has given us to rightly reflect and develop and expand the kingdom of God. This is what is meant by the words pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives in Him. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, and that's what I'm saying, we receive this mystery, I mean this, this ministry, as a gift when we accept Jesus. So it just comes with accepting Jesus. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What he's saying here is, having accepted God's calling in our life, we then act with integrity as God reveals his will to us. Verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's what we're trying to do. We're not proclaiming ourselves. 
We're proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are his servants for the sake of his kingdom. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the kingdom of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the reflect concept, that we reflect his glory in all our relationships. And this comes out in the statements of mission. We'll talk about that later when we get to it. So how do we do this? We do it by pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives. Now we'll have considerable opportunity to flesh all these pieces out as we, as we go along, but let me give a brief synopsis here. Whole lives. The first and greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That means all of you. Jesus didn't come to just redeem one little piece of you. He came to redeem all of you. And in the like manner, God calls for you to give your all to his kingdom. Therefore, every aspect of our lives that matters. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, take every thought captive to obey Christ. But not just every thought, every action, every emotion, every intention. All of it is to come into obedience to Christ. All right, spoiler alert, we're not always going to get it right. This is an aspirational goal that we would take every thought captive. All right, you're going to miss one or two. That every action would be aligned with Christ. Yeah, you're probably not going to get them all. That every emotion would be appropriate within the sanctified reality of our lives. Yeah, not likely. However, that's the goal. And just because we don't get it every time doesn't mean we don't keep trying. That's why we're pursuing it. Pursuing a whole life. Put it out there as a goal. Let's go on. Healthy life. This one builds off of whole. Jesus calls us to good health. Now sometimes that's not completely up to us, is it? When it comes to physical health or mental health. But even if we can't be perfect... We always need to do the best we can with what we have. And choices play a huge role here. We'll talk about this more as we go forward. But whole life, healthy life, and faithful life. This takes us to one of the greatest formative scriptures in Adventist history. Revelation 14, verse 12. You probably know it in the King James. I'll, I'll read it in the English Standard verse. <clears throat> First, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Maybe you know it as, here is the patience of the saints, they who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. We are the people who keep the commandments of God and put our faith in Jesus. And we are the people 
who will keep doing this until the end of all things, no matter what. That is what faithful lives are. We've committed ourselves to the commandments of God and the faith in Jesus, and we will endure. There's a word there, hupomone. We'll unpack that as we go along and get further into this, but it is patient endurance over time. We're not just going to try to do it today. We're going to do it tomorrow, and we're going to do it the day after, and we're going to keep going because the one who has called us is faithful, and it inspires us to be faithful to him. And because we believe what he's told us in the commandments, gives us our best life, and we believe that what he's given us in Jesus gives us our salvation. So that's faithful living. Whole, healthy, faithful lives. All right, this is about as far as we can get today. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to keep building on this as we go forward. But I want to wrap it up like this. I'm going to read you the vision again so you have it in your mind. We'll read the whole thing. Jesus Christ has called us to be a diverse community pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives in him. And we invite you to connect with our community and pursue that life with us. All right. Can Jesus really accomplish this through us? And do you want him to? What would it take for this to happen? Thankfully, we're not left to try to figure this out on our own. So we're going to close with this text. 1 Peter chapter 2. We touched on this early on, but let me read you the whole context. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Okay, if we're going to be a diverse community, we're going to have to do this because we might have malice, we might have deceit, we might have hypocrisy, we might envy someone, we might slander someone. None of that's okay. So we got to put all that away. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. This, this idea of growing up into salvation, this is what we mean by pursuing whole, healthy, faithful lives. Growing up. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, so each of us is this stone, and, and Jesus is building us into a spiritual house. Now, there's a lot of words there, and Paul says a lot of words, but let me break it down to you. It says, as you come to him, you are being built up. How do we do this? How do we possibly achieve it? Not with our cleverness. We come to Jesus. And as we come to him, we are built up. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Jesus is this cornerstone, and we're being built all around him into this amazing spiritual house. 
So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But now verse 9, and this is the one I read to you before. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He who has called us is faithful. He will make a way and by his grace we will be the right people in the right place at the right time.